Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels recording this week, and uh, the ATP season is over. 2022 season in the books. Chris Otto, the fan child, is here. You know him from the Lucky Light Corn at Light Court. A lot of tennis now stuff as well. Uh, Chris, good to be talking with you again, though bittersweet because this incredibly, incredibly dramatic tennis season is over, but Glad you're able to come on and appreciate you taking time to talk tennis. Mitch, happy to speak with you. Um, yeah, a little bit of sadness. Season's over. Short, short off season, though. We're never far from the next tournament, right? Right. I mean, there's still Davis Cup and there's still a lot of other things. And then sure enough, it'll be New Year's and Australia and everything will be back. But what a year 2022 was. Uh, and it finishes with Novak Djokovic winning his six ATP finals. Uh, getting his share of, you know, doing as good as anyone's ever done in this tournament. Him and Roger Federer have really set the standard. Novak keeps winning. He goes undefeated in turn Italy and uh, just a very impressive performance. And before we get into kind of what his years looked like and everything there, Chris, I go back to that Medvedev match where he won a match and he fought in a match where he didn't have to. That was as telling as anything that week where he was in it to win it. He's as committed as ever. He's put muscle onto his frame and he's reminding everyone that he's still the top dog. Yeah. Isn't it funny how we people tend to panic and think like Novak Djokovic is not right. He's shivering at a changeover. This is it. He's going to fall down and lose this match. It's just kind of like, haven't we done this before? Doubted him physically or his limitations or whatever. And he made it clear that match and throughout the whole tournament through the season, really, that he has no limits. He's still there physically and mentally. I mean, eventually he'll hit the wall at some age, 36, 37, 38, but he's the number one player in everybody's mind right now. And I think uh, Carlos Alcaraz, of course, is the number one in the rankings. We all talk about that. And it's an amazing storyline. But Djokovic just stepping up, finishing with 18 wins in 19 matches. Like you said, winning his six ATP finals title. From start to finish, he's so incredible what he's been able to do. His versatility on all, sur- on all surfaces. And you look how much trouble Rafa has late in the season here. And look at Novak just finding a way to go undefeated and pick up nearly $5 million to go home with for Christmas. <laughs> It's not too bad, right? Just nice little, <laughs> nice little Christmas shopping money. Yeah. That match, particularly in the um, the final against Casper Root, it was a tactical display for him. I think that's the part of his game that that and the serving, I don't think gets enough credit, just how smart yeah. he is out there and how he can come up with the goods when his body, you know, he wasn't at his best and physically. And I don't know if that was lack of match play. If he was sick, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but he finds a way to, do what he needs, whether it's short in the rally, whether it's outlast guys that might have a lot of weapons. It's really remarkable stuff. He's so comfortable in this format too. The round robin format seems to treat him well. It's it's one thing to be Novak Djokovic and have all the accolades and have all the years that history has you know shown that he's an all time great, maybe the best ever. 
But Chris, he finished top five on the year, a year where he didn't play in two grand slams. He wasn't allowed to play. And one of the grand slams that he won, he got zero points from. That That's one of the more improbable, incredible things, I think, in, in the history books. Novak finishing top five, where essentially three of the four grand slams meant nothing. Pretty amazing. I, you know, I think he, we may have created a monster here because... <laughs> He, yes, he is 35 and, and a grinding season playing 80, 90 matches, something like that, which would have been a potential for him had he had he not had the, you know, the issues with not getting the vaccine and missing out on all these events. He might be tired, but I think his legs probably benefited from this in, in the long term. I think he's going to be very fresh next year and ready to do even more damage. But yeah, what is he? 2000 points behind Alcaraz for number one right now with 360 points to defend at the slams next year. And then he's got zero pointers at Indian Wells, Miami, Cincy, and Toronto. I mean, he's set up to really have a crazy 2023. Yeah. I know one event that's worth 2000 points coming up that he does pretty well at. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see, but I, it's, you know, and, and we can get into the season debate too. I, I think, you know, Alcaraz, Nadal, and Djokovic, three years, three different types of years. And that was the debate on, on Tennis Channel Live and different platforms, who had a better year. There, there isn't necessarily a wrong answer. I think, like, the older you get and, you know, how Grand Slams wait, people would take Nadal's year because he won two slams. And yeah. Alcaraz is just chapter one in this journey. There's no, there's no right answer to this. I think, though, if you're, if you're looking at it from the all-time race and the slams race, I think we would agree that you would take Nadal's year just because he did win those two slams. Yeah, we forget. I mean, we forget because not much has happened for Rafa of late. The, the injuries kind of caught up with him. And he, became, he became a father. A lot of things happened. But two slams at the beginning of the year, and I think what he proved to me and what I think is still going to be true going forward, if Rafa can find a way to get that diesel engine going, and get to peak fitness where he's comfortable with the surface, where he's going to be playing. He gets a little bit of a lead up. His body's not giving him issues. If he peaks, he can beat anybody and do the damage that he did. And he can do that again next year. I think it's going to be harder for him to find that peak fitness. But if he's got it and he's, and he's feeling and he's thriving in his body, he can be the best. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to write the demise of Nadal. A lot of people have done it erroneously. Uh, I will say, though, that the sign for me is when he starts struggling on clay, that's when I'll start to really consider Oh, my goodness. Yeah, if I don't I, even want to think about it. Right. But that's, that's, yeah, that's the qualifier there. And Good then point. I guess it's the wrap on that discussion, Chris. Do you still consider, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a, a notion that's agreed upon, but regardless of the rankings, Novak Djokovic, best player in the world still. Yeah, I'd say right now, um, yes. And it's going to be interesting to see what the others can have to say about that next mm -hmm. year. Carlos, of course, so sad that he wasn't able to play in Turin because that would just be a great indicator of where those two were at head-to-head. -head. You know, of course, Carlos took care of business against Djokovic on the clay earlier this season. I think they were both different players at, those, at that particular time. So, but yeah, Djokovic won. And then I'm looking forward to Carlos. I'm looking forward to the return of Medvedev, who has become like a hard luck loser. We'll yeah. probably, you'll, you'll probably want to talk about him a little bit. He's mm -hmm. become this hard luck loser with eight consecutive losses against the top 10, not finding a way to finish matches, but he kind of showed that he's right there in my mind against Djokovic and Turin. And I think, you know, a little more commitment. I think he can step it right back up and be a factor. So there's a lot of interesting names coming up from behind to challenge for the top five. Felix is there. He's been great. Sitsipas. And then we got our Americans. We're just totally impressive this year. 
lot of lot to digest there. We're going to get to a bunch of the players there, but that eight straight losses by Medvedev against the top 10 is hard to believe, but especially yeah, when you watch the matches and he's right there. Uh, I do want to mention, I do want to go over a lot of the players that showed up. Some played well, some didn't. Uh, yeah. Got to give props to Casper Ruud, though. I mean, making the finals of the ATP uh, Tour Finals, finishes number three, narrowly missing number two. What a year and what a year to just continually push, you know, move the goalpost of what the expectations of his career. This wasn't a highly touted guy, wasn't thought of as the next face of his era and the next multiple tournament winner. But yet here he is. He made a final of two different slams this year on two different surfaces. He's done consistently well. And then I keep going back to this. His baseline game is just so much higher than a lot of these other players, Chris. He brings it every match and he kind of forces you to go for more and it's hard to be that consistent when you have to beat a guy who is a phenomenal athlete just hats off to Casper Ruud what he's done this year making it to the final of the tour finals in turn yeah absolutely he, you mentioned the most important thing in my mind which is two different services he's become such a vastly improved hardcore player able to make it to the finals of the U.S. Open, where I think two, two and a half years ago, we were thinking about, about Casper maybe as a clay court specialist. Yes, we knew he could do damage on that surface. We knew he was comfortable on it. He, he was proving it along the way. But now what he's doing on the hard courts, I mean, this is another eye-opening week. Forget about the loss in the finals. We can get to his lack of belief against Djokovic and Nadal, which I think exists. And I think that's one thing he'll have to remedy next season. But the fastest surface in tennis and he's the guy who was in the finals and he played great and and like he's done so much to improve his game working on his serve which is a you know a work in progress but steadily improving his back end of course getting a lot better it's no longer a liability is it a strength well maybe that's the next step for him but he, but it's very solid and it's, and it's got a good foundation now even Andy Roddick was commenting on how the swing path looks a lot smoother he's much more comfortable off that wing it only is a guy like Djokovic that can expose it. It takes a lot. So yes, I mean, perfect step for Casper Ruud with, with everything in front of him now after what he's been able to achieve. He just needs a little bit more belief and maybe a little bit more of a way to play against the Nadal's and the Djokovic's. I think Roddick again mentioned some good points. Casper likes to stay way back against the uh, as a returner and behind the baseline. He needs to find ways to kind of get in and get on the attack earlier against those guys to change it up tactically. But he's so close, knocking on the door, and very determined and very professional. I think he's going to be an even better player next year, like he said in his press conference after the tournament. And he's so mentally locked in too. You never really see him unravel the Rublev match where he was cruising, gets broke, still has a break to play with, and just locks back in. Yeah, incredible yeah. stuff and that's a testament to his team and his upbringing more than anything yeah and hanging with rafa <laughs> of course <laughs> introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com more with Chris Otto here on Tennis Channel Insight and uh, other players in this tournament. The uh, the two other semifinalists, Andre Rublev and Taylor Fritz, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted they would have come out of their groups, but yet here they are. Uh, first for Taylor Fritz, just a remarkable year. He got in as the alternate this tournament, had the injuries, won Indian Wells, and uh, was just really, really great developing Chris this year. He 
improved steadily. He worked on his game. He put the hard yards in and you saw it on the tennis court. I think if you're, if you're a Taylor Fritz fan or a fan of American tennis, you have to be feeling great about what he accomplished this year, what 2023 could potentially look like for him. Yeah. I mean, it all started in Indian Wells. Well, actually in the fall of 2021 at Indian Wells, where he reached the semis and then he comes back and wins that title in the most dramatic fashion. (laughs) having to leave the court with an injury while he's warming up and then comes back to beat Rafa, who was also compromised. But still, that was a big pillar of belief for him. Got two more titles, got his first 500 title along the way in Tokyo just recently, and then took advantage of an opportunity at, at the at the ATP finals and played great and got, and got some massive wins under his belt. Once again, he's leading. What I love about Taylor is that he's leading the American men right now and he's setting the bar higher for guys like Francis, Tommy Paul. And I think they're all realizing these guys in the 24, 25 year old age range that it's possible for them that the, the tectonic plates of tennis are shifting. There's going to be more opportunity at the top and they want to be a part of it. And they're believing that they can be. And a lot of that is thanks to Taylor Fritz this year. Rising tide lifts all boats, and that's kind of what's happening there. And and you're right. I mean, there's more than one. Fritz is the standard bearer right now, but these other players are are nipping at their heels. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's been so many career years that not just, you know, Taylor obviously being in the top 10, but Francis having his best year, Tommy Paul as well, even lower-ranked guys that have been stepping forward. The American tennis hotbed is it's looking pretty nice right now. We've been waiting on this moment. Yeah, it is really good. And, and the last quick comment on Fritz. Um, I love the win over Nadal. Just like he just knew that he was going to face a Nadal that was beatable and he played like it the whole match. He just dictated and it was it was just so impressive. There's no lack of belief facing a legend like that at the ATP finals. Taylor just came in there with the attitude like I'm going to win this match. There's no reason I shouldn't. And he did. The Andre Rublev performance, getting through emotional win over Medvedev, the match against Tsitsipas as well. He is a player that is very emotional for good and for for better and for worse. He also has, uh, you know, some weapons, some issues, some areas of his game that maybe aren't elite level. But this was a pretty big moment for a player who's been knocking on the door, who's been flirting with, you know, a mainstay in the top 10. Of all the players this week, you know, it's funny to say this, but he might have had the biggest breakthrough in just terms of that belief and that mental side. Yeah, I think he needed one, too. I think he's, you know, he's like the king of the 500s for a while. He was he really sort of burst onto the scene. And then I guess he hit like a, a plateau, albeit at a very high level inside the top 10. And I think it's nice for him to get those wins uh, over Sitsipas, Medvedev and to play well there. You know, he's a dangerous player. I mean, on any given day, he can mm-hmm. really dominate the court. And I I just think he's a great guy and a great talent. He works, he works extremely hard. He's extremely dedicated. He knows he needs to be better on that emotional side, mm-hmm. but he, he just he needs to be more committed. He, I'm not saying more committed, but I think he needs to be a little bit smarter how he attacks this plan. Maybe bring in some help. Mm. Sport. I'm not sure what his relationship is with the sports psychology, yeah. um, but, but, you know, that's, that's something he's got to put the finishing touches on. And it, it might be the thing that kind of, you know, helps him fly and get a little bit higher to become even a little more elite in his career. But, you know, yeah, he's such a solid player just waiting for his breakthrough to come. And, and I'm not sure what it's going to take in terms of, you know, getting to a slam final sort of thing, but I think it's out there for him. I think the second serve is the one part of the game that you'd love to see improved. And that's where he is. A, it's a tough matchup for him against some of those great returners, but yeah, I'm with you on the mental side. I think it's getting better. We'll see how much more still a young guy 
And uh, I do want to mention this because he had a, an interesting year, still a tough talent, but it was poor form by Sitsipas in that press conference after. This has been a theme for him. I, I do have empathy for him, much like Jim Courier said with what he's going through with his team, and it's kind of dysfunctional there. But I would like to see some growth in how he handles losses because this I know it's hot after a loss and it's tough when a microphone's pushed in your face, but I just like to see him rein it in a little bit more. Oh, indeed. I mean, it, the, the comment about Rublev lacking tools, but still mm-hmm. getting the win. I mean, and, you know, Rublev's response was amazing. He's it like, was very know. well put. <laughs> he's like, I don't even know what he's talking about, to be honest. Like, well, I don't know. Um, but yeah, Steph needs to, he's putting a target on his back, really. He's becoming like public enemy number one in the locker room, I think, with this. I mean, let forget about the fans, which maybe isn't that important. Um I just feel like the players really enjoy going after him and beating him when he, when he talks this way, it's, it's just like creating noise that doesn't need to be there. It is poor form. I don't know if it's sort of like his English, if he, if he was able to do his pressures in Greek, would he be, would he be better? I don't Mm. really know, but yeah, he just, he just create, he's creating a kind of a, this strange image out there. It's, it's not good. You know, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, Kyrgios, Brooksby, even the Draper match, there was some stuff there. And if in sports in general, if they know they can get under your skin, they're going to try to do it and enjoy and revel in that fact. So I'd like to see, you know, more stability there. Uh, and, and also on Medvedev, another player that didn't have a great finals, but had two matches where he served for it five, four and still could not win. I think that this year was awkward and, and disjointed in a lot of ways, whether it's injuries, whether it's the fact that there was the Russian band at Wimbledon, also that he had some tough draws having to play Kyrgios a couple times when yeah. Kyrgios' ranking wasn't high. I, I don't, I'm not writing off Medvedev. I know that he had a career year and some would say that he might be coming back down to earth based on how his 2019 went uh, as opposed to others. But I am willing to say this was a weird year. Let's see him with a full match play. He loves to get on the court. He loves to just play week in, week out. I think there's not enough data for me to make any you know distinction of whether Medvedev is kind of falling out of that top three, top five tier. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it, there's some weird numbers that really stick out, four and ten in deciders. And, of mm. course, we talked about losing the eight straight against the top ten. Yeah, serving for it twice, he was so angry about that and just <laughs> frustrated. I just think, you know, you, you can maybe chalk it up to a little bit of bad luck. Maybe he just wasn't perfectly right emotionally. The Wimbledon ban is big. What's happening in Russia I don't think can ever be overstated. The impact it has on, on – it must be – must be extremely difficult for a Russian athlete right now, but I mean, forget about having sympathy for Russian Russians at the moment. It's probably not the right way to go, but I have a lot of belief in Medvedev, just 26 years of age. He's proven so much doing what he did against Djokovic at the U S open. He's got that level of belief. I think he just needs to kind of maybe have a good, a good result or two happen to him. And, you know, I expect him to be competing for these big titles. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's in the Australian open final again next year. That AO final may have taken a lot out of it looking yes. at that look and just what it, you know, he never really had a loss like that and what that meant and kind of where it went. So, uh, but it, as we say, it's not like he's getting skunked in these matches. Like he's right there. So, you know, yeah. he's right with these guys. Uh, the last player to talk about before we move on and wrap this up, uh, Felix had another great, great performance. Um, I love how he flipped the narrative of not doing well in finals. He finished strong. And he's becoming a very a bona fide player. Also love the fact that he's shown some emotion out there. So I'm, I'm buying Felix. I think he's put it together. And another guy that's so young at 22 years old now, I think 21. So he's still 
on the way up. And, and it was a nice, you know, close to the 2022 season for him. Yeah, I think, I think he did a lot of the hard yards getting to the ATP finals. And then he maybe was a little bit low on petrol while there, of course he notched the win over Nadal and if that cannot be overlooked. That's an important win for him, but overall his season was absolutely brilliant because I think the main mission was, was accomplished in spades by just, he needed to get over the hump and win one title. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he won a bunch of them and that really changed the narrative around Felix right now. He looked great at Roland Garros. He was nearly, he was the guy who nearly got past Nadal. He's a force on several surfaces now. I guess all three of them really, I think looking ahead, he's, he's setting up for a future. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. That would be the logical step, of course, but he's setting up for a future where he becomes a Grand Slam winner. I think it'll happen. I think he's, he's only going to get better in the next two, three years, whether it happens immediately next year. I think we all think that's, you know, that's what's supposed to happen. It might not, but it's going to happen. Yeah, he also doesn't strike me as having a lot of or any real noticeable weaknesses. So I think that his well-rounded game is going to give him a shot on every surface. So, yeah, it's a lot to like about Felix and uh, the rest of this ATP finals. Uh, last note on the finals, got to give a shout out to the doubles team, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. What a year that those two had. And really wasn't a lot of, you know, notice going into 2022 that this would be their year, but they dominated the scene and a much deserved tour finals title. Yeah. Rajiv Ram, right. Don't we love him? He's been around for yeah. so long and he's just like, he just continues to come into his own. And of course it was a historical win for Salisbury for, it was the first Brit to ever win uh, ATP finals title. So yeah, amazing. Those guys, those guys were awesome. I thought that um, Pavich and Mektic could be, could be a challenge for them, but they weren't. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. More with Chris Otto on Tennis Channel Inside In, uh, wrapping up the 2022 season. Another guy to give a shout out to, how about what Ben Shelton's doing? He's won three straight challengers uh, in three consecutive weeks, the youngest player to ever do so, into the top 100, which oddly enough gets his close friend Chris Eubanks into the AO wildcard situation, but Ben Shelton on the rise. I mean, yeah, what are friends for, right? Always coming through. But Ben Shelton making his move and, you know, the hype train is is leaving the station. There's still time to get on, but he is uh, really going to take the tennis world by storm, I would think, in 2023. It's, it's just great to throw another American into the mix with um, – that younger group that we've all we've been talking about for two years now with Sebi, with with Brandon Nakashima. I mean, Ben's just 20 years old and he's really shown the ability to step, make the transition to the ATP tour as well. He had a good summer. I think he's it's gonna be a great learning year for him in 2023. He'll be a factor, he'll take some lumps, but he's gonna keep us all entertained. And he's like, like it's gonna be another one of these American players that's gonna like up the level of competition between these guys. I mean, it just looks brighter and brighter over the last two, three years. We've been kind of seeing it on the horizon. Now it's here, the opportunities are there for American men's tennis that haven't been there for a long time. 
And this is an interesting part of the year too, right? With, I know the ATP season done, but still some events, challengers that have been going on and will still be going on, but building your momentum now, getting your reps in. I mean, we've even seen it with established guys like Dominic Team, who I think is primed for a big year that you get some of these, these smaller events in, some matches in, it could set you up well for the next season. Yeah, it's a good point. There's an art to going to Australia, to making that trek. I think some players... Probably the, the first name that comes to mind is Andre Agassi. Just figure it out and, and just get it. How to, how to, what kind of shape they need to arrive to play well. Novak Djokovic, obviously, pretty good yeah. at it too. Um, and, um, you know, you're right. Pl- by playing through, you got the young legs, you know, you don't need the break so much. You're excited about what's going to be happening in, in January. You, pl- you stay hot and get over there. You, can, you could cause some damage. It's, it's, a, it's a good opportunity if you can show up hot, right? Certainly, certainly. Uh, well, before we wrap this up, any quick thoughts on the Davis Cup? We do still have tennis this week. I know the Americans got a, got a solid chance, but Canada's another one. They look good. Uh, we know what, what Spain and some of those countries can do, but what are your thoughts on uh, just the Davis Cup and this uh, new format we're still getting used to? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, now that it's down to knockout quarterfinals, it's kind of fun. It's digestible, right? I mean, yeah. watching, watching um, Australia, Get, kind of get into the mix today and move up one nothing on the Netherlands. I got to be honest with you, Mitch. I'm kind of focused. I guess I'm in this American men's tennis because I'm working on a piece about about the future of, of the men. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great? First of all, it's it's very late in the season for guys who have had a long year, like the Fritzes of the world, yeah. and Francis Tiapos, whatever. But I was I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be great if they can capitalize and turn this into a Davis Cup victory? Like, what would that do for their confidence, for their level of belief collectively? And, and so I'm kind of rooting for them to have success. Italy's got a little bit of uh, some injury issues. So there's an opportunity there. And, you know, it should be a lot of good tennis. It's going to be fast and furious. It'll be over by Sunday. Then we can all we can all go to Bali or something. But I'm mm-hmm. very much looking yeah. forward to it as much as Davis Cup format is now tricky. I'm not, I'm not a hater. I'm just kind of enjoying it. And it's funny though. I, I will say this. It's funny how we, for years and years, we wanted the format to change. And now that it's changed, we want it to go back. I know. I just find that kind of funny. It's uh, it's different. It's unique. It was always hard to, you know, obviously I missed the, the home ties and what that meant, but it was always yeah. hard to get commitment and fit it into the schedule. It's good to see these Americans commit to it and in a long year, still want to play and represent their country. So there's a lot to like there. Uh, Chris Otto, we uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, last thing, 2023, not too far away. So we'll have uh, some new contenders. I'm really going to dig this generational battle. Like you still have Novak and Rafa, the the old, you know, the elder statesman now. Murray yeah. is still fighting around. But you have that middle ground, the uh, Sitsipas, Medvedev era. Now Alcaraz is coming, Holger Rune winning Paris, Sinner. I mean, this is going to be like the generational battle. And I think it's going to start off the ground running in Australia and Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, you summed it up perfectly. There's so much to be excited about across like three different generations of, of men's tennis. I mean, it's, it's going to be wild next year. And there, there's so many, if you scan down the rankings, it, it's just, it's beautiful. Like I'm looking, I'm scanning right now, Musetti, Kyrgios at 22 and 23, Shapovalov's still around, Matteo Berrettini, if he yeah. gets healthy, he's a potential slam winner. There, there's, Zvera will be back. I don't know how people feel about that, but but he was he was definitely in the mix this year. There's just a lot to look forward to. And like you said, it'll be, yeah, it'll be like that that quest for supremacy between the young generation and, and, and as Novak said best after he left the ATP finals, 
I'll see you all in Australia. I think I can, <laughs> he's so confident. It's going to be hard to dethrone him. And I, but I'm anxious to see everybody try. I'm so excited. We, we need these couple weeks to recharge, but we're back for 2023. Uh, Chris Otto, you can find him on the Lucky Wet Court podcast as well as Tennis Now and contributing for various tennis publications. Thanks for coming on Tennis Channel Insight in, Chris. Thank you, Mitch. Talk to you soon. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Appreciate Chris Otto coming on the show. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for the entire catalog of this, as well as our other shows. We're on all your podcast platforms, so you can find us there. There will be more shows in December for the offseason, some exclusive interviews previewing next year as well. You're not going to want to miss that. For Chris Otto, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next week.